The West Coast Conference, a two-bid lead with loads of drama. Our Matthew Walter was there to talk all about it. He's here to talk to us all about it after covering it. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you're subscribing. We're also on Twitter at Locked On WBB, you know, for as long as there is still a Twitter. And of course, it is brought to you not just by me, but by the incredible team that we have over at the Nets, the NetsTubes.com, $9 a month, $72 a year for over 100 reported pieces every month. And we are north of 40 in March alone. By Wednesday afternoon, March the 8th, which is when we recorded this. So definitely make sure you subscribe and support the work being done, not just by Pac-12 reporter Matthew Walter, but also by WCC reporter Matthew Walter, who joins us after seeing Matthew. You saw I have it on my notes. It says 97 basketball games in the past three uh, and a half days. Is that correct? 97? A little too many. A little too many. 18 games in seven days, but that means I averaged over two games a day. That is a remarkable accomplishment and broke it down for everyone. Go to the netsoups.com, read all the work that's being done on both of these conferences. But we're here to talk West Coast Conference basketball. Segment one, we're going to talk big picture. Segment two, I want to get into some of the under-discussed stories in the WCC, we're going to finalize it by talking about how far that two-bid lead can go when we two-bid, B-I-D, not B-I-T, is not an insult. The WCC matters, and we show that every day, how far the two-bid lead can go when it comes to Portland, when it comes to Gonzaga. But let's start at the top. There's a new commissioner in town. He's a name very familiar to not just basketball people, in Stu Jackson. Uh, I, listen, I remember him as coach of the Knicks a long time ago. But Stu's been involved on the women's side as well. What are you hearing initially about Stu Jackson? What are your just sort of initial thoughts about what is a big-time hire when it comes to basketball? Yeah, and, you know, the last commissioner, Gloria Navarra, has left right before the basketball season started to be the commissioner of the Mountain West, and it put the WCC in a very weird spot, right? You have a team leaving in BYU. You have all sorts of rumblings. Gonzaga's going to leave. You know, they're going to go join the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or whatever because Gonzaga's basketball runs – runs the West Coast Conference. Or the Big East, by the way. Or the The Big East. They can go a million million different places. But Stu came in at his first press conference and said, right now we have nine teams. We're going to stick with the nine teams we have. And we're going to just continue to try to grow as a conference and try to really develop these nine teams. And and I think it's a great hire, right? Because the WCC, it runs on basketball, right? Men's and women's basketball is what runs this league. We don't, they don't have football. 
So it's going to run on men's and women's basketball. And of course, with the, the brand name of Gonzaga, you have to keep basketball at the forefront. So go and hire a guy who's been doing basketball his whole life. Like you said, NBA guy, coached the Knicks, was Big East commissioner of men's basketball for the past, I think, nine plus years. Mm-hmm. So just a guy that really knows his basketball. And he talked about right now, you know, we have nine teams, but that doesn't mean we're not going to look to fill the spot that was left that BYU is leaving from this conference. And I think he's a great fit for the WCC, he has the right mindset. And again, the WCC sort of following their, their own sort of rules, right? They made the Russell rule that every spot that is hired for a coaching position has to look at at least one person of a minority spot. Gloria Navarez, a woman and Latino. Now you go to Stu Jackson, a man, but an African-American man. So someone who I think fits the, the mold of what they want to do in the West Coast Conference, trying to sort of follow their own rules and, and do the things that they have shown that they want to do in the way that they want to go. And I think he's a great fit. And I think as he gets himself involved, you'll see some of these other things, you know, developing, whether it's adding a 10th team to go from back from nine to 10 and how they decide to maybe adjust their conference tournament now with nine teams. And we'll see, they actually even announced over the weekend that they're going to be holding their um, baseball tournament at the Las Vegas stadium, the Las Vegas baseball stadium is the home of their minor league team, but just shows that they like what they do in Las Vegas. They just signed a new extension to stay at Orleans arena for their men's and women's basketball tournament for the foreseeable future. And I think Stu Jackson is going to come in and, and do some really good things for the West coast conference and continue to grow it into, a, you know, it's already one of the premier mid major leagues, but keep it at that high level. It feels very much. And again, you spoke about Stu's big East background. There's sort of a couple of things that jump out to me that are significant. Number one is you can't work with Val Ackerman and not understand how to maximize women's basketball within the overall space of a basketball-driven lead. The Big East just feels like, and I don't mean to be East Coast biased in this way, but kind of aspirational for what the West Coast Conference ought to be in terms of its national footprint Mm -hmm. and in terms of where it is being shown on TV in terms of its conference tournament, all of these different ways in which the WCC, to my mind, is undervalued by the national conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it is very much in that Big East realm. And seeing that Mm -hmm. and seeing the emphasis on both of those things will matter a great deal, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Just from like a TV perspective, like what should the WCC footprint be? So it's hard to say, right, because the WCC has its own network, right? They're not partnered with one of the, obviously they do have a lot of games on ESPN on their men's side, a lot of games on CBS Sports Network. I think for me, where the, the West Coast Conference needs to grow on their women's side is we need more regional sports networks games. I think I saw a, a, a year high of three games on a regional sports network this year for the WCC, which is a good step forward and they just got it in the last couple of years where all of their conference tournament games except their championship are now on regional sports networks so then all of the people who live up and down the west coast can watch their their conference tournament games and then the championship game is on espnu paired with the summit league and the horizon league in sort of this tuesday championship window which the wcc likes this this window on a tuesday with the championship so i think that's going to stay but i think we need to get that number of regional sports network games up from three to somewhere close to 10 to 15 the danger though of course is that we're seeing rsn's collapse as we speak Mm -hmm. to the point that literally major league baseball doesn't even know where things will be. But I agree with you. I, you know, there's so much exposure on the Big East side of things. Frankly, the SNY partnership with UConn is something that I, I'm frustrated that more other, that other colleges did not emulate. And now you just wonder, there's going to be a lot of focus on the MLB side, but you raise such an important 
important point. Like there are these nascent leads that are going to need more opportunity. And nascent's the wrong word, but let, let us say a nascent appreciation among the people who make these decisions that women's basketball needs to get this type of coverage. Mm -hmm. And if you if you don't have those regional sport net, sports networks as a gateway, then you'd either go back to like, well, how big is the footprint for your own network? And then again, what did the Big East do? They have this partnership with Fox Sports 1. I mean, the way they covered that UConn-Villanova championship game was every bit the way you felt a national TV game ought to be, period. The way they covered that entire tournament, the fact that you have so much talent that you've got Lisa Byington and Sarah Kustak and Kim Adams all as part of this coverage that John yeah. Fanta does a great job on the women's basketball side, but you pull John to the men's side and you have so much talent there as well. I just, that's what, that's my wish for the WCC. Yeah. And we're going to see a change, right? Because a lot of the WCC's TV coverage came from BYU TV. Well, that no longer is going to exist with BYU leaving to go in the Big 12. So now how will that adjust things? How will they now change without having this BYU TV? I talked to some people and it sounds like nothing really is going to change. And the nice thing was at this tournament, they had their own whole halftime set. Like they had a whole set between their games that they could throw to and have people talk about the games. And I think we'll see that grow. And, you know, like I said, I saw three games on regional sport networks TV this year. And I think that was maybe the most, if not maybe a little less than I'd ever seen before for a whole season. So I think we'll see that grow and develop. And, you know, a lot of it is the fact that you do have a star team in Gonzaga and that helps to draw people over, but you're right. I think that we need more high level people, you know, in this league in terms of the, the coverage, like you said, getting Elisa Byington and the championship game had two great people. And Schatz is one of my favorite broadcasters in the world. And then they had Nikki Collin, who is, you know, works for the Las Vegas aces. So it was a, a great fit of two people, but I think you could see the TV coverage of this league grow even more and have even more people who are there to do a great job covering what is in my opinion, the best mid major league in the, in the country. I 100% agree with you. It is something to watch for because as we consider the changing landscape of women's basketball, I, I think the WC is, the WCC is every bit as much a part of that conversation mm -hmm. as the Power Fives that get much mm -hmm. of that talk. So we're going to talk about why and we're going to get into Gonzaga, Portland, mm -hmm. and everything that transpired this past weekend. Mm -hmm. However, first, I want everybody to know about BetterHelp. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And BetterHelp, as far as I'm concerned, it's so meaningful that there is an opportunity for people to work on themselves emotionally, intellectually, while not having to go somewhere to do it. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process. We're always growing and changing. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding. Sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just go to betterhelp.com slash NBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash NBA. And again, go get the help you need 
go get the help that'll make you better in your day to day. I, I can't stress it enough. Really proud and really glad that BetterHelp is a sponsor of this show. So when we think about the West Coast Conference, of course, and again, you said Gonzaga drives it, right? But um, I, I've looked into it, Matthew, and they did not get the auto bid. They did not get the auto bid. In fact, Portland was the team that got the auto bid. So I'm hoping, and, and you wrote such a terrific piece, and, and you'll forgive me for reading from it, okay? But I want people to hear this, okay? I'm so shocked that we won like this. It's an insane feeling. It brought back some memories from our friends, my freshman year. I'm over the moon right now. I'm, yeah, I can't even explain it, right? That was Alex Fowler. Take me through the moments leading up to Alex saying that to you and what it meant for this Portland program. It meant a lot, right? So Portland won this league back in 2020 with a first-year head coach in Michael Meek coming from George Fox. For those who don't know, that's where Scott Rurick at Oregon State got his coaching start before going to Oregon State. So it's a very similar sort of style of, of, you know, he's got this big, deep playbook, but they run this pressing team. They play a lot of different defenses. And he showed up at Portland, and they had finished eighth or ninth the year before and mm -hmm. were picked 10th. And in 2020, they – finished not only from, they finished in fourth. So they finished six spots higher. They upset Gonzaga in the semifinals. They win the championship. And it's just this amazing sort of Cinderella story of a team that's picked last with a brand new coach winning the championship. And now they get to go to the NCAA tournament, except for then about two, three days later, the tournament is canceled. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. There was yeah. a cancellation that year. Yeah, because of, because of COVID, of course. And yeah. so now that, you know, they have to sort of understand, yes, they got the enjoyment, but they never really got a chance to play and show the, the nation who they were, right? They never got that opportunity. So now coming into this year, almost all of those kids that were stars on that team last year are now seniors or fifth years. So there's, this is their opportunity. They, they're going to be out of eligibility. They wanted to win this year. And so what happens is their best or second best player is Haley Andrews. I wrote a great piece about her and yeah. how she helped grow this program. And in their first matchup against Gonzaga and coming into this year, she was coming off an ACL tear. Their first game against Gonzaga, she hurt her knee again, same knee, and has, has been out for the season since then. So now they're down their, their starting point guard. So they come into this tournament. They'd lost three conference games all year, two of them to Gonzaga by less than 10 points. And going into the half, they're down 11. And my brain goes, okay, Gonzaga, this is Lisa Fortier. They're going to come out. They're going to play a great second half. They're going to win another championship. And the third quarter was a complete flip of the script. And Gonzaga, one of the most poised teams that you'll ever watch play basketball, Lisa Fortier does a phenomenal job there following Kelly Graves. And they're just almost unflappable. And they looked so lost out there. Portland was forcing turnovers. They forced nine of them in the third quarter. They scored 26 points. 19 came off of turnovers. And they just really made Gonzaga look so confused. And in the fourth quarter, Portland built this eight-point lead, and they looked on their way, and then here comes Gonzaga. A 9-0 run, and we're in a one-point game, and now Portland's playing on, on the edge, and next possession after Gonzaga takes the one-point lead, Fowler hits this big end one where the ball hung on the rim for about 30, what felt like a, a minute, and goes in. And, and that was the game-winning basket, and Fowler had such a, a big second half for them. She had no points in the first half, 15 in the second. She's been the star. She's Portland's all-time leader in points scored in Division One history. At, at this girl, 6'2", from Australia, and, and just has grown as a player as, and, and 
the pilots just played so well and never got uncomposed, right? It'd be easy down 11 in the WCC tournament. The, the Orleans arena turns into a mini kennel because so many Gonzaga fans come to this tournament because they win it on both sides almost every single year or play in the championship. And so it felt like a home game for Gonzaga and Portland never got phased. And it's just such a great story for them when they lose their chance to get to the tournament. And now, you know, I said to them, knock on wood, you're not going to have another global pandemic. Just how great does it feel to get to finally play in the tournament? They're like, we just can't wait to see who we play. We're so excited. And, and Fowler was just stunned. I think because they made the comeback, because they never – let themselves get out of the game. They were just in such a, a, a phenomenal mood just after the game, just feeling so high on the fact that they finally got a chance to prove what they did four years ago and actually show the world who they are. I, I do have to say, you know, there, so they're a 12 seed according to bracketology right now. That seems, I think, reasonable to me. Charlie Dream's got Gonzaga as a nine. That feels very low to me for a team that went 28 and four, for a team that, you know, their losses this year were to Marquette, who is a really good team, to Stanford. Uh, they play in the Pac-12. I don't know if you're familiar with that conference, but uh, also a, a significant one out west. Santa Clara and then losing in that championship game, like you said, in really remarkable circumstances. You think nine is where they end up? And, boy, if they get out of that first-round game, do you can you imagine a one-seed having to face Gonzaga just to get to the Sweet 16? I honestly would tell you, I think if you're Gonzaga, you'd rather be a 10 seed because you'd rather not have to play in that against the one seed. I think you're right. Gonzaga is going to get underseeded. They have a very good record. The problem is the West Coast Conference outside of Portland was really down this year. Yeah. And so the net quality teams that they played and losing to Santa Clara, who I think finished somewhere in the 150 to 200 range in the net, it just doesn't help you. And yeah. so that's why, and it, it hurts Lisa Fortier that they played Louisville and Tennessee who started the year so slowly and then picked it up in conference play, but it, it's, they just needed a better net. I think their nets finished somewhere in the mid forties by the time they, you know, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. And so that's where it hurts you. And you want to have a more competitive conference where, Portland and Gonzaga were really good. The third place team finished 11 and seven. The fourth and fifth place team finished nine and nine in conference play. Like you need to have a more dominant third place team in your conference so that that win is a little bit more valuable. And so that's where I think this, and I was talking to someone, I think I was talking to Andy Patton of locked on Zags about this exact situation. Sometimes it's not that she can schedule as great as she wanted in the non-conference, but the WCC just needs to elevate their game from the, you know, the three through 10 spot. And you see it on the men's side in the WCC, these third, fourth, fifth place teams are all high level teams having a chance to get into the bubble, but it hasn't translated over to the women's side yet. And so I think, you know, they need to have a third and fourth dominant team that sort of beat all the bottom feeders and where the second, third and fourth place team can battle each other. And it's a, you know, on top, 80 to 110 net win instead of beating fourth place or fifth place. And they're in the one twenties, one thirties. So that's where I think it hurts them. I think that they are going to be underseated. They're a much more, you know, I think if they played in the PAC 12, they would have finished somewhere in the six to seven range right around where Washington state was. It's just because they win this league where the rest of the teams, you know, the last place team in the, in the WCC was in the low two hundreds in net rating. It just pulls your net down when you're having to beat these low level teams that are, are, not competitive in, in a lot of games. It's true. And Princeton and Columbia are facing this at the Ivy League as well. I just, to your point, they didn't just play Louisville and Tennessee. They beat Louisville and Tennessee. They they beat Stephen F. Austin, who's 23-5 and five this year. Like, they had a really good year at the risk. And they they of, beat like, Wyoming. And Andy Patton's work, um, you know, and, and cheering for him. Like, you, you know, Gonzaga really had a hell of a season. 
and they beat Wyoming, who was the second place team in the Mountain West. So that's not like Lisa Fortier outside of those four games against Stanford, Marquette, Tennessee, and Louisville scheduled. You know, Stephen F. Austin is a really good team. Wyoming is a really good team. They still schedule these good mid-major programs. The problem is that you have to be playing a, a conference slate where these other teams are pushing their net close to or are in the top 100. And it just, unfortunately this year, it didn't happen that way. And their team is, is incredibly talented, right? The Trong twins are two of the best guards that are exist in the country. Yvonne Ejim is up for the Becky Hammond mid-major player of the year award. And she wasn't even the WCC player of the year. So I just, the talent is incredible. They have Brenna Maxwell who was on Utah last year, who is one of the best shooters in the country. So they have the talent to compete with any team in the country. You saw it last year, right? They took last year's Louisville team, going to the final four and lost in the second round by nine points. Yeah. at Louisville. It's so she's not like Lisa 48 knows how to coach. They have incredible talent. It's just that they're the rest of the league, unfortunately is pulling them down a little bit. And that's where she needs, they need to see if the rest of the league can get a little bit better and be more competitive, you know, and have some higher level teams in that one, two, three, and four spot. No doubt. And I do, before we go and in our third segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the league because Matthew, you do such a great job, not just about talking about Gonzaga or Portland, but up and down the WCC all season. So first though, I want the people at home to know about FanDuel. Now the midway point of the NBA season, the NBA National Basketball Association, it's a it's a men's league, as I understand, a men's professional league. And, um, you know, so the NBA season is happening now and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. You can get a no sweat first bet if you're a new customer of up to a thousand dollars. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, it can be spread money line, total player props, like player points, rebounds and assists. There's even this thing that's a two by three, two three pointers scored in the first three minutes. You can bet on things like that. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And so, Matthew, when I talked about that you tell stories up and down this conference, you wrote a piece, and people should go check it out, over at thenetstoops.com, how injuries helped Santa Clara's Lexi Pritchard and Ashley Maldonado grow on and off the court. It was just, I mean, so striking to me, and as I feel this way every time I'm at a conference tournament, NCAA tournament, you see players who have gone through so much and worked so hard it isn't about whether they're going to play at the next level it's that too right and we tell those stories all the time but it's about these players who forged relationships together who have created new identities that'll be with them for the rest of their lives so take me through if you could what really made you want to write about Lexi and Ashley and what they did at Santa Clara yeah, I mean, Lexi and Ashley, you know, have been at Santa Clara. They're, Lexi's uh, a year ahead of Ashley, but they've been there 
for a couple of years now. And this year they have a very young team, right? They came off of last year playing with one of the all-time leading scorers in Santa Clara history and a guard by the name of Lindsey Van Allen. And so they were expected to step up and, and play a bigger role for the Broncos this year. And it's just, it was unfortunate because both of them were coming off of injuries last year that kept them out the entire season. But this was two girls that really came together and grew as players together spending all that time rehabbing from their respective injuries that kept them out the entire year. And it just made them, you know, better friends, better people, and and just helped them develop as, as human beings and learn to, to play the game of basketball from a different perspective and realize how much that they missed the game by being out a whole season. So I think just talking about their journey of coming back to playing together, to leading this Broncos team that, you know, finished eighth in the league, but they beat Gonzaga. They beat Washington, two teams that are in the tournament and on the bubble for the tournament. They had one of the best scorers in the country and a freshman in Tess Heal, who set the record for WCC Newcomer of the Week awards and won the Newcomer of the Year award in the league and is, you know, one of the best scorers as a freshman in this conference. So just to show that the growth that they made to now lead this group of players and, and talk about how much they enjoy beating Gonzaga, beating BYU, two things they hadn't really done in their careers and getting to do them this year and be leaders and come back from injuries just meant a lot to them. It's just a wonderful thing to see. I urge you to check it out and make sure you are following Matthew at Matthew Walter 96. Uh, if you're not on YouTube, I'm saying M-A-T-T-H-E-W-W-A-L-T-E-R 96. Uh, the work he does WCC, the work he does for the Pac-12 coverage for us, and of course for the Las Vegas Aces, who I hear may have an interesting season ahead. So something yeah. to make sure you are keeping an eye on. Thank you so much to the listeners at home for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen today. Now make your second listen, Dame to Dame NBA. Again, there's that men's lead at end. Apparently, we have a lot of coverage about it over at Locked On. Every moment, every top performance, every result, every result, Locked On Dame to Dame covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Dame to Dame on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Um, there are some decent players I hear, Matthew. Is that true? Yeah, I hear they have the, uh, the Caitlin Clark of his time, Steph Curry. Ah, yes, indeed. Yes, I remember <laughs> Remember covering Steph Curry and very much got some future Caitlin Clark vibes when I did so. Well, Matthew Walter, always a pleasure chatting with you. To our listeners, thank you for another wonderful work week. Of course, we are not even close to finished. Tomorrow, the WNBA Draft Show, as usual, as it happens every Saturday. Until next time, I am Howard McDowell wishing you all a wonderful weekend. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. 